Good morning. Welcome back, Pastor Michael. We're very glad to have you back. Um, grace and peace to you, dear, dear family. Uh, most of you know I got to spend the summer on sabbatical, and there was a lot of time that I got to think about ministry. Uh, since 2006, uh, Kirsten and I have been in some sort of vocational ministry. So as, as I was reflecting on the, the past years and considering the future, um, the good, the bad, the hard, the ugly, I've been reminded that it has been a gift. The Lord has given us a gift to be able to uh, be in vocational or full-time ministry. And I remember thinking about like when this all really started, Kirsten and I were uh, pretty newly wed, maybe like the first or second year. And I remember we, we, we had an apartment that this space kind of looks too big. Um, our apartment was very small in Ocean City. I remember turning, I remember turning her, I was like, and it just kind of like dawned on me maybe earlier that day or that week. And I just said, you know, I think the Lord's calling me to be a, a pastor. And with a cute smile, which she always has, she said, <laughs> she goes, I know. She was just kind of waiting for me and from the Lord to, to kind of figure it out. So from there, we actually spent some, um, we were teaching at a Christian school, and then we, we moved to Jamaica to be full-time ministries for three years. And while in Jamaica, we were, we were privileged to work with a circuit of churches and under a, a lead pastor who shepherded me and cared for me and mentored me. And, and during that time, my, I felt the calling was reaffirmed and strengthened. And once again, even this past summer, it was thinking about the past, thinking about the future, it seemed that the Lord really did reaffirm a call toward pastoral ministry. And, and while I'm thankful for all that the Lord has carried us through, his kindness and his provisions for uh, these past 16 or so years, let me tell you that vocational ministry is hard. Just listen to some of these statistics from uh, people that, that, that gather these statistics. 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 80% will not be in ministry 10 years later, and only a fraction will make it a lifelong career. On average, seminary-trained pastors last only five years in church ministry. 100% of 1,050 pastors that were polled, had a colleague who left the ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. 91% have experienced some form of, uh, form of burnout in ministry, and 18% they were fried to a crisp right now. 70% constantly fight depression. 50% feel so discouraged that they would leave their ministry if they could, but can't find another job. 80% believe their pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families, and 33% said it was an outright hazard. 80% of ministry spouses feel left out and unappreciated in their church. So after that chipper bit of news, what am I getting at? Ministry's hard. But it isn't just for pastors or people in full-time ministry. Following Jesus is hard. It's fraught with difficulties, challenges, troubles. If you, didn't you hear the psalm that we just read, Psalm 25? Surrounded by enemies and dangers. A mighty fortress is our God. That is a song that Martin Luther wrote because there were pressures all around. But that he had a, a strong fortress that he could run into. Some of our most beloved hymns, It Is Well With My Soul, written by a man who lost all of his kids uh, to, uh, to the ship they were crossing the Atlantic when it sunk. So much of the Christian life is, deals, and, and, and the psalms and the, the hymns we sing, and even what Scripture shows us is, it's hardship, it's suffering, it's distress. There's a reoccurring theme. Because this is the case... I think our tendency is to try to avoid difficulty and suffering at all costs. 
Often this means that we, as if we're at like a buffet, we pick and choose what we like and how we're going to follow Jesus to make it easier, less inconvenient, and more doable. But the question is, do these attempts bring us more joy and more peace? They may result in a safer, easier life, but I would argue, and I bet you would find someone, anyone who is truly pressed into Christ, truly in, in embraced their call, they would say it's not a more full one. The Apostle Paul, nearing the end of his life, writes to his young protege, Timothy, not to work simply to avoid suffering or, or do ministry as, as long as you're safe and healthy and it's easy. He says, you're not going to avoid suffering. You're not going to avoid difficulty. You're not going to avoid obstacles. But rather, stand firm in the Lord in the midst of them. He says, to commit yourself to your calling and to stay the course. Not with this grim stoicism and stiff upper lip. I, don't, I was completely enraptured by, I love Queen Elizabeth. We can talk more about that. I watched all of the funeral coverage. I'm excited to meet her in heaven. I think she's a dear sister in the Lord. But you know, I saw this one video on YouTube. It says, Prince Edward, her youngest son, an emotional outburst. Do you know what it was? He took a tissue and dabbed his eyes. That's a British emotional outburst. <laughs> the stiff upper lip of, of the Brits. That's not what Paul's talking about. We're just brute strength by, by God's, but rather embrace ministry by God's minute-by-minute minute grace that's available. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, there's one probably in the seat below you or just in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's yours. Please take it. We have more. We'd love for you to, to have it. You can read it. So Paul writes to Timothy in, the second, uh, in, in this letter. To, he's nearing the end of his life. But he also writes for our benefit and understanding that we too will faithfully fulfill our calling as followers of Jesus, even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of hardship, even when it's inconvenient. I'm going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And at the end... I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. Not to be like overly official, but if, you're, if you would like, you can say thanks be to God. And we do this because this is a way that we are acknowledging corporately what we're holding in our hands. We're holding not just a random book, but God's word. So this is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. And just as Paul ends that paragraph with asking the Lord for understanding in everything, let's begin there as well. Let's go to the Lord and ask him for his help to illuminate his word. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you for this, this morning that you have given us to gather, to sing songs of praise to your name, to fellowship with one another, to open up your word and hear from you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would empower me, would open up ears and hearts, that we would collectively grow to treasure Christ above all, that our hearts would be warmed as we hear your word preach. Father, I pray for us as a, as a local body that we would leave having met with you even challenged by you, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from that knowledge, it would transform the way that we live, that we would learn to love you more 
and love others as well. We pray this for your glory and our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Peter, we're not going to go back and read it all, but Peter has begun this letter with great warmth and thanksgiving. Paul deeply loves Timothy. And he's a spiritual father to him. He has seen him kind of grow up in the Lord, so to speak. And Paul is writing from prison at the end of his life and ministry. And and according to verse 6, he wants Timothy to fan into flames the gift that God has given him. That Timothy received when he was called into ministry. They were both called to be witnesses, Paul and uh, Timothy, teachers of, of the good news about Jesus. Just as it is now, it was in their, in, it, it was in their time, it wasn't a, always a popular thing to do. Paul is in prison on account of his faithful ministry to Christ. And now he's writing this to this young pastor, this young minister, to remain faithful even though suffering and hardship will likely come just as it's come for Paul. And he says, don't be ashamed of this. Don't try to get around it, but rather be bold in the face of it. He says that he's to hold on to that which has been entrusted to him by following the pattern that Paul has set faithfully throughout his ministry. Verse 13 of chapter 1, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the gift of God's salvation and the, and the sacred ministry to live out that calling. To do this, he says, you need God's grace. And that's where we begin in our first point. I'll, I'll, I'll nail the I'll, Shout out the points as we're going for those note takers. But the first is that we're to be strengthened by grace. Chapter chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul issues this command to be strong. But it isn't a tough guy type of strength. Paul isn't saying when things get tough, Hey, Timothy, you just got to suck it up. We used to call my brother, my oldest brother, Hoover, because he'd always just yell at us to suck it up. (laughs) Rub some dirt in it. Get over it. Stop being a whiner. He doesn't say that to Timothy. Neither does he lie to him and say that everything's going to be okay, a lot like the prosperity gospel that is preached all around the world. Hey, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's a lie. Rather, Paul knows the risks and the hardships that come when we follow Jesus, when we embrace fully our call to follow him. And Timothy and us, we need strength, not clever hacks or workarounds. We need strength that doesn't come from within us. It comes from God himself. So Paul brings Timothy back to the the things of first importance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is of first importance. We start there. That the good news of Christ's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, the forgiveness of sins, his, his welcoming of sinners to himself, his redemption, is the ground, it's the engine behind all Christian living. That we never grow out of that. God's grace is his unmerited, his unearned favor that he has showered on us. That's exactly what Pastor Michael read in Ephesians 1. This unearned favor and kindness from God is the very source of our salvation. Many of you know these passages, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3 and uh, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace, or made righteous by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation 
or that atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that, that, that took the wrath of God in our place. And that is received by faith. If you've never experienced God's grace, if you've never received the tenderness of God's forgiveness, the warmth of his, of his calling you his child, if you've never turned from sin and looked to Christ, the one who bore your sins on that tree to, so that he might bring you back to God, I would invite you, do not leave until you have learned more about that. Find me, find one of the other pastors. We would love to talk about what it means to, to know his unearned favor and mercy and how you can receive it. But for those of us who have received it, who have experienced this saving grace for the forgiveness of sins and have experienced it, Timothy, what Paul is writing to Timothy is really helpful for us. He says, God's grace isn't just for salvation. It doesn't just kick us into the kingdom of heaven. It is the tre daily treasure trove that God invites us to swim in and, and, and rest in. That God daily is willing to, is pouring out upon us. John, in his gospel, speaking of Jesus, he says, he is, that we have, that through Jesus we have received grace upon grace. It is this ever-flowing fountain of God's grace that is available for us. And Paul says, be strengthened by that kind of grace. The grace that never stops, that's always available right there for us. Like, I'm really thankful for translations of God's word. We, we, if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, you're okay. You can read God's word with, with confidence and assurance, but there is something beautiful about being able to, to study the, the Bible in original languages. And when we see this, this, this verse, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, we actually get a, a, a whole other dimension to what Paul is actually saying. I'm not a grammar person. But it is written in the passive present tense. Here's what that means. That it, Paul is saying it keeps standing in that grace. It's a continual thing. It's not just stand in it for a moment and then get out. He's saying remain in that. Keep being strengthened. It's an ongoing strengthening that God provides by his grace. We never outgrow our need for God's grace. God knows what we need and then makes it available as we continually look to him. That's what Paul's saying. He says, Timothy, as you, here's what I want you to do. First and foremost, be strengthened by God's grace. That you would know the height, the depth, the width, the length of God's love for you. That you would know that the ocean of God's grace that's available to you. How do we do that? How can we kind of be strengthened in that same way? Pastor uh, R. Kent Hughes says this. We're not only converted, but strengthened in the grace of the gospel. Knowing that our God loves us, forgives us, purifies us, helps us, comforts us, enables us, and secures, secures us, all because of his mercy, rather than because of our merit, encourages and strengthens us for the calling he gives us. God has shown us, even when we were just singing about, God has shown us a radical grace and kindness. Not, and he showed it to us not when we were just weak and on, down and out, but when we were actively rebelling against him, when we were enemies of God, God showed his grace toward us. How much more now, if you've already received it, how much more now can, are the floodgates of God's grace open for you, for us? When we remember how God has called us and delivered us in the past, how he's provided for us on every layer, then we can be strengthened for what lies ahead even when it seems scary, uncertain, hard, or inconvenient. You see, God's grace doesn't just get us by, but it brings us this, this joy and this fullness and this peace. Even, when it, even in the face of difficulty, we're to be strengthened 
by God's grace. Paul says to Timothy and now to us, be strengthened by standing daily in the grace of God. Remain there. Saturate yourself in it. That's what it means to, to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. That's what it means to, to, to be strengthened in a way that we can actually live, not self-righteously, but out of the overflow of God's grace. Which brings us then to two. As we stay there, one way we get strengthened is we bring others along with us. So two, be strengthened by God's grace and pass it on. Look at verse two. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Later on in this letter, Paul is asking Timothy to leave Ephesus and come to him. To do so, Timothy, a teacher of that church, is going to be gone. So practically speaking, Paul is telling, telling Timothy to make provisions for his absence. But that's not all he's doing. He's also setting forth a paradigm for ongoing discipleship. Passing the baton. Like the idea is simple. Find others who have been faithful and share with them. Invest in them. Commit to building them up so that they'll be able to go and do likewise. Some have seen this as... Um, evidence of like an apostolic succession, like the, the apostle finds somebody and passes on the, the title of apostle on, ongoing. I don't think that's what's going on. Rather, Paul is just saying, this is basic discipleship. This is sharing the grace of God. And he's, it's important who he's supposed to find. That it's not the popular people. It's not the strong people. It's not the flashy people. It's not the clever folks. Rather, faithful. Those who have been actively pursuing Jesus, who have been resting in his grace, who daily are strengthened in the grace of God. Those who were bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those who regularly commune with the Lord, that is, that they regularly go to God's word, that they're regular in prayer. Not like it's a checklist, but genuinely love to commune, to meet with the Lord, that they would grow in their understanding of God and his grace. Those who actively love God and their neighbor as themselves. Those who are not even perfectly, but at, turn away from sin and seek to honor the Lord in public and in private. That their lives are the same when they're at home than when they're here. Timothy, in short, was the look for men of character. I wonder if our own lives, as we're thinking about, hey, following Jesus, if we think about this category... Am I being faithful? Do our lives and practices in public and in private tell of our devotion to the Lord? Hear me. I wonder if we're more concerned with not sticking out, living a Christian life enough that passes the sniff test, but not so much as to inconvenience or constrain our lives. Timothy was to find faithful men. Not perfect, not holier-than-thou types, but those whose hearts, minds, and hands are guided by their love for God's glory. And it's not just for men to do this as well. Ladies, pass it on too. I think Paul has in mind pastors right here, but again, I think there's also a discipleship model that we're to see. Pass on to faithful people. 
what we have been entrusted, that what we have received from God, let's pass it on, that others would be built up and that they'll be able to pass it on. And we need to grow in this as a church, but I want to say that it is also happening to find faithful folks to carry on ministry. I was so encouraged when I left, there were no deacons and now there are. That's great. The the men's intensive that we did uh, last year was meant to be this as well. There are the discipleship groups that we're going to be getting. In just a, there's this idea of passing on, helping one another in their walk with Jesus. One mature saint has taken seven other folks under their wing, and once a month they meet with these guys, they pray with them, they study God's word, and they are intentionally pointing them to Jesus. We need more of this. Like This is my job and the pastor's job, but it's also the job of saints generally. That we're to grow in grace that we might also be able to pass it on. So, friends, let's not just keep it to ourselves. Let's, as we're strengthened by the grace of God, as we rest in that grace, let's share with one another. Let's pass it on. Pastor Eric, youth group needs some mentors, right? Yes, he's shaking his head yes. Older folks, grab one of the younger folks. Say, hey, do you want to meet? I know some of you younger folks might be intimidated to go to someone older. I guarantee that older, folk, that, that older saint, that more mature saint would be pleased to say, oh man, they would be so encouraged by that step in boldness. What if we actually took active responsibility for one another and began to pour out and show each other the grace that we've received and to pass it on. I think we would have this, a network and and a growth of of genuine discipleship, of genuine joy, of genuine uh, uh, eagerness to follow the Lord and a network that would support us even when the waves get wild. So we're to be strengthened by grace and then to pass it on. And then number three, we're to be strengthened by grace in the face of suffering. Look, when I get sick, and I'm not talking like sick, sick. I mean just like a cold sick. I'm a spectacle of misery and discomfort. My dear loving wife, who has given birth to five children without any pain medication, cares for the afflicted in our home. But see, she certain doesn't let me forget that she is way tougher than I am. And all the, all the ladies can actually just turn to a man and say, amen. I share that because verse 3 is hard to read. I don't like pain. I don't like discomfort. When I have a cold, it is the worst day on the planet. But Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Another reason why he needs the strengthening by God's grace is because suffering is going to come. Like no one, no one likes suffering. And and I don't think we should be, I'm not advising anyone to run headlong into it and go, oh, this is going to be real hard and I'm going to suffer. I know you're CrossFit types, I get it. And it might sound like Paul's a bit of a masochist who's advising Timothy to join him in his masochism. But that's not what's happening. If you look back at the first t- uh, chapter again, Timothy has already told, uh, Paul has already told Timothy of his situation. Prison, abandonment, being betrayed. These happened as a result of Paul's ministry. They weren't, they weren't tangential to it. They were a result of it, of him being faithful to his call. Paul has been saying to Timothy, don't forsake your mi- ministry, don't abandon the faith, even when it gets hard. Paul says, be single-minded, devoted, persistent, work hard. In in, In ministry, in the seasons of blessing, and in the seasons of hardship. And through three different metaphors, Paul helps Timothy and us see what faithful Christian living is like. 
First, in verse 4, uh, he already said it as a good soldier of Christ, and it continues, no soldier gets entangled in the civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Last Sunday, um, the, the, the members, we ran out of the members meeting last week because uh, we had to drive to Pennsylvania to remember and give thanks and, uh, and for a memorial service for Kirsten's grandfather who died in July. He was 106 years old and eight months. He's a faithful follower of Jesus for nearly all of those years. So it, it was a great time of thanksgiving and being with family and, and giving uh, praise and remembering God's grace in her grandf- uh, Kirsten's grandfather's life. As Kirsten's aunt was sharing a remembrance during that service, so she was the oldest. Uh, her mom is, uh, has f- their four sisters. And the oldest was sharing a remembrance. And she was saying that two weeks after uh, her grandfather got married or her dad got married to her mom, this is her aunt speaking, uh, two weeks after they were married, that's when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And within, within a few months of that infamous day, her dad, Kirsten's grandfather, enlisted in the Navy. After boot camp and training, and by the time he was deployed, his wife and now newborn daughter would be without him for three and a half years while he was in the Pacific. When Eugene Vickers, that's his name, signed his name for military service, he expected difficulty. He expected hardship. He expected suffering ahead. And he was in some stuff. It's foolish for a soldier to go on, to go looking for danger, but a good, loyal soldier does not run or cowardly try to avoid it when it comes. Eugene Vickers, along with his shipmates, said goodbye to their families. They left their jobs in order to go and serve in the military. Their service required devotion and priority. That's what Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, Paul is not saying families are bad or jobs are bad or even necessarily a hindrance. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. Paul had a side hustle. But what, but what was always chief on his list, what always, was always his top priority was serving Jesus, to follow Christ. That was his top priority all the time. And it then shaped the rest of his priorities. I think many of us are comfortable letting Jesus get crowded out of our lives. We're quick to let the presence of hardship, difficulty, suffering, difficult people, inconvenient situations overwhelm us, and then we retreat. We think... I'll speak about myself. I often think, I don't want to be let down again. I don't want to be frustrated or constrained. So we don't step in. We don't use our God-given gifts. We're like a soldier who enlists but returns home when the battle begins. Paul is saying to us, God has poured out his grace. He has enlisted us. He has called us to himself, placed us in his family, is places in a community where we're to live out our call for his glory and the good of others. So as one who has been enlisted, realize what is going to come. But know that the one that whom you stand in is stronger than that situation. Be strengthened in his grace. He goes on from the soldier to talk about an athlete. Timothy is reminded, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In the ancient world, as it still is, competing in the Olympic Games was a serious and coveted goal. It's another thing I love. I love the Olympics. We can talk about that later, Tim. In fact, competitors would pledge and engage in a strict 10-month program leading up to the Games. It involved training, diet, Um, and and things of that nature, and they made an oath before Zeus that they would abide by the rules, and if they didn't, they submitted themselves to the punishment uh, of failing to keep their oath. That is, if they cheated. 
Training was grueling and hard, but if you persevered, there was great reward. Just this past week, Jordan Burroughs, does anyone know that name? Hey-o, all right, couple. Jordan Burroughs is an Olympic and U.S. national team wrestler, not the WWE kind, like the real kind. And just this past week, he became the most decorated wrestler in American history. At, at age 34, which in wrestling is a dinosaur, he won his seventh world title. I love Jordan Burroughs, and I've followed him for a number of years. He's explosive. He's from South Jersey. He's a follower of Jesus, and he trains like an absolute monster. Just look up Jordan Burroughs training. And you will, even the most fit in here will go, he is a monster. He has earned each one of those titles by going through the gauntlet of training and dedication to the goal. His his thing is, no one will train harder than me. I will go to the very edge because I want the goal. His Instagram handle is all I see is gold. He is dedicated to the prize. Now contrast that with Lance Armstrong, the cyclist. Armstrong was a legend, winning the Tour de France, cycling's toughest race, 23 days through France, through the Alps, through, they would do 150 miles a day for 23 days. He won that seven times in a row. And this all after overcoming stage four cancer. He was an icon. Remember, you know those rubber bands that everyone wears? That Lance Armstrong started those with the Live Strong bracelets, the yellow ones. You all remember those, right? All right, thank you. But then the story came out of his massing doping regimen that he and all his teammates used performance-enhancing drugs throughout the race and that gave them an unfair advantage. There was this huge scheme. So while everyone is depleted, they're getting jacked up with steroids to to excel. Ultimately, when he finally came clean, all of his Tour de France titles were stripped away. His sponsors all left him. He lost $75 million of income in one day. And he's become permanently banned from competing in professional sports. He was trying to find a way to shortcut success without having to go through the grueling part. Yes, the race was hard, but he didn't face it the way that others did. He didn't compete against the rules, and he lost the prize. Paul is telling Timothy and us, there aren't shortcuts. There aren't ways around the work of growing in faithfulness, of fulfilling our ministry, of pursuing Jesus. We won't escape the difficulties and challenges. Rather, God is acting actively using them to prepare us, to mature us, and to use us for his glory, for our good and the good of others. And on the other side of them, God has something for us. There is a reward that is far greater than an Olympic wreath over your head or a yellow jersey. Third, is a hardworking farmer. It is the farmer, the hardworking farmer, who ought to have the first share of the crops. Has anyone worked on a farm before? It is not for the faint of heart. I threw my back out at a you pick 'em farm picking strawberries for an hour. Like, I really threw it out. Real farming, early mornings, long days, caring for your crops, reaping the harvest, selling your supply is grueling work. Not only is it hard, but it takes faith and patience. Because so much of the hard work that, that farming requires, it doesn't have instant results. You've got to put the seed in the ground and then just wait. Your livelihood depends on that thing growing. You have to care for it, nurture it, protect it, and then wait. It's so much like ministry. It's so much like following Jesus. Christian life, the Christian life takes work. It's not just to sign up and go, yeah, yeah, I trusted Jesus, I'm good, and then I'm going to do my thing, and then when he comes back, well, I'll be good. And actually, that's why Jesus says, do you count the cost? 
It's an all-in proposition. And we're to grow, again, strengthened by the grace of God. We're to, through his empowering grace, to work out our faith. Listen to what Paul says elsewhere. He says this in 1 Timothy. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end, we toil and strive. That's work language. But we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially on those who believe. In Philippians 2, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And lastly, we see in Colossians chapter 1, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he, may, that he powerfully works within me. The Christian life is hard. But God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't just save us and go, hey, try to figure it out, kid. Rather, he gives us all that we need to press into him, that, that we would grow in his grace, that he empowers us to strive after him. Did you hear, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling? Because it's God that, that's at work with you. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. Paul toils in his ministry. Why? Because he knows that behind his energy, God is the engine that's pushing him. That's why Paul began in verse 1, of, be strengthened by the grace of God. God is at work empowering and sustaining and guiding us even as we strive to live out our calling. And here's the deal. Jesus actually, again, I said this last week, Jesus totally gets us. He did the same thing. He lived fully. He knows the struggle. He knows the pitfalls. In Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 2, we're told to look at Jesus, the, the founder or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't try to skirt around the difficulty, but went right into it, knowing that God was at work, that, he was, that what he was accomplishing was going to be an all-out victory. So he goes through and he says, I've already passed through it. I've taken the brunt of it all, that even though hardships are going to come, Jesus says to the disciples, hey, there's trouble in this world, and you're not going to get around it. But when we rest in him, we can take heart. Why? Because he has overcome the world. And he shares this victory and this grace with us that even though that we might be crushed and persecuted, but we're not, we're not destroyed. Rather, he uses these things as, as pressure on coal to make diamonds. He uses them to, as fire burns the dross, the, the, the dirt out of precious metals. God uses difficulty as a means to mature us. Do you realize the promise that God makes in, in Romans chapter 8? There is going to be suffering. There is hardship. There is difficulty. There is work. But God doesn't waste it. Rather, he uses it. He says, And we know that all, for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
God is at work. When you are overwhelmed and you can't, you just, I want to give up being a parent right now. I want to put, you know, Coca Melon on or whatever weird show is and let, just like let the kid veg out. Because I don't want to deal with it anymore. God goes, I'm there. I have sustaining grace for you in that moment. When work calls you to stand out, stand on conviction. Like God says, I have sustaining grace for you in that moment. With that difficult family member who knows just how to push your buttons. God says, I give you sustaining grace that you might be a light and a witness to them. If we would lean in. And as we do, it's not just, again, gritting our teeth and bearing it. We have a hope at the end of the day. And that's our last point. Be strengthened by God's grace in the face of suffering for the joy of what's to come. These metaphors all kind of end and they show us that pressing in, of fulfilling our ministry, of leaning and not trying to have shortcuts, it actually is worth it. As a soldier receives commendations for faithful service, so the faithful Christian, when he sees Jesus, will be welcomed with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enjoy the, the joy of my rest. The athlete who receives a perishable crown, the, the, the faithful follower of Jesus is the one who perseveres and receives an imperishable crown of life. The farmer gets to eat the fruit of his hand. He gets to enjoy the food that he's grown. But the hardworking, faithful follower of Jesus partakes in the bread and wine that satisfies all hungers and longings. That's why in the next, in the next paragraph, uh, Paul, uh, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as he preached in my gospel. He's saying, do you remember that Jesus has already overcome and he's opened up for you paradise. He's opened up for you a reward that is incomparable. What this all shows us is that the metaphors that Paul has employed show us that the Christian life is not a half-hearted thing. We don't kind of follow Jesus. It's like trying to be a little bit pregnant. You either are or you're not. I wonder if we've been living this way. What are you devoted to? What has top priority in your life? What do you persevere for? What do you work for? What will you endure hardships and troubles for? We're all aiming at something. What is the prize that you are aiming for? Tim Keller, pastor and uh, retired pastor in New York, is facing, um, you know, he's at the very end of his life. He has pancreatic cancer. Um, don't know what he's, how much longer he has, but he says this. He just said this this week. The most rapturous delights you've ever had in the beauty of a landscape and the fulfillment of a loving embrace are like dewdrops compared to the bottomless ocean of the joy that will be that that will be to, to see God face to face. Don't sell out for less, as there is more than you can wonder. I would add that the biggest house, the fanciest car, the most luxurious vacation, the most comfortable life, the best retirement plan will be like dew drops in the ocean compared to the joys and reward of a faithful life and persistent pursuit of Jesus. Like we probably, in this pursuit we, we probably won't be jailed or tortured. Most of us won't be. But, but following Jesus in our daily lives may mean this, that as we make Jesus a top priority, we'll likely have to give up some things that dominate our lives, but are of secondary importance. As we make Jesus and the gospel the framework, as we have, live out a Christian worldview with, and values, we may need to have some conversations with ourselves and others. Conversations that acknowledge that your life is out of step with your profession. Look, we may face hostility and opposition. Teachers, I'm looking at you to, to take a stand for Christ in our world. 
The world is growing more and more hostile and unwelcoming of Christianity. It may be inconvenient to follow Jesus. Following Jesus and fulfilling our calling isn't always convenient. You will have to give up time. You will have to care for someone else. We may certainly have to endure hardships, obstacles, and frustrations. You may be called to move to remote places of the world, broken parts of the world, for the, for the sake of bringing light into that dark place. And some of us may, can sit here and go, yeah, I'll wait for somebody else to do that. A little flag goes off and goes, eh, that, that one's not for me. But following Jesus while trying to avoid difficulty, trying to just be safe, trying to keep both feet in, in, feet in both worlds will lead to a boring, half-hearted, frustrated faith that is neither joyful or faithful. Like, I'm not saying be unhealthy. I'm not saying not have boundaries going back. I'm not saying get burnt out. What I'm saying is, where is your priority? Is Christ at the top? Is your call at the top? And how does that shape everything else? There's a guy um, who actually compiled a lot of that, 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 that study. His name is Bill Gaultieri. He says this, We all want more peace, but we seek it in the wrong way. The way to peace is not to avoid stress. It is to face your fears with Jesus' help. He's actually given us grace to face them as we lean in. So I would say let's embrace all that the Lord would have us, trusting him to lead us, to guide us, and to bring us through. Jim Elliott, the, the martyr missionary, famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And another time he said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt, all the way, full tilt, every situation you believe to be the will of God. Then, as we throw ourselves on the mercy and grace of God for strength, then we'll know his pleasure. Then we'll know his joy, even in the face of difficulty. Look, I want you to think about what lifestyle choices do we need to reassess? Individually? Collectively? What priorities need to be rearranged? What resources, time, talent, treasure, need to be reallocated? These are questions that we should take to the Lord and even to one another. And remember that what Scripture tells us, that we're to think over what, what is written, knowing that the Lord will give us understanding as we do. So as we think over these things, let's ask the Lord to strengthen us by his grace that we may embrace with boldness, devotion, persistence, diligence, the life that he has called us for, for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the faithful ministry of Paul and Timothy. I thank you for the grace that you gave them, that they called into it and then fulfilled it. The same grace that you've given to us, your people, I pray that we would stand and be strengthened in that grace in a similar way, that we would fulfill our ministries, that we would live well to your glory, that our priorities would be rightly ordered, and that we would thrive, strengthened by your grace, come what may, for your glory and the good of the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.